0: Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today on the podcast, we're talking about Medicare for All and the coronavirus pandemic. Medicare for All isn't dead just because Bernie Sanders suspended his presidential campaign the other day. Far from it. Its advocates predict that support for single-payer government-funded health care will actually grow because of something more powerful and unpredictable than politics, the coronavirus pandemic. And today we're talking to one of the nation's leading Medicare for All advocates, Michael Lighty. Michael's worked with Senator Sanders for years and served as the Sanders campaign's healthcare constituency director. And now, here's my conversation
1: with Michael Lighty.
0: Michael Lighty, welcome to It's All Political from your home in Oakland to my home in Oakland,
1: <laughs> fantastic, Joe. Thank you very much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you are well. You are doing well, correct? You are health. You're you're healthy and, and doing well in all this craziness. Correct? I am.
1: Thank you. I've been sheltered in place. I think since the first order of uh, it was given about people who you know need to stay home. So
0: <laughs> I, I was sheltered in place since the order from a higher authority, uh, Chronicle editor in chief Audrey Cooper. <laughs> there you go. So that's that, that's that's what I, I follow her orders so first. Um, so. Uh, you uh were the healthcare constituency director for Bernie Sanders' campaign, correct? That's right. Tell us a little bit about what that is and what that position. What did you do for the campaign?
1: Well, we did a variety of things. I was able to go around to all the um, early primary states uh, and some Super Tuesday states as well, talking about Medicare for All and the centrality of it to the senator's program and why he was running for president. We also did a series of op-eds, blog posting, social media work. We organized doctors for Bernie. We worked with them. These were uh, mostly younger doctors, actually, who had been energized by the Sanders campaign and wanted to get more involved. And so we did a lot of constituency work with them. And we had surrogates running all over the country talking about Medicare for All, people like uh, Abdul al-sayed who is a former public health uh, mm-hmm. commissioner in Detroit or Victoria Dooley who's a family practice physician in uh, the suburbs of Detroit so uh, so we had huge numbers of folks um, uh, being surrogates for us on Medicare for all and it really became a prominent part of the campaign and you're, you're OG
0: with Bernie too you go back to the first campaign <laughs> and you even before that correct you've known him for many years
1: I have known him for many years. I actually first started working with him when he was uh, elected to Congress in 1990 and had the pleasure of me, I think, meeting him before then even. Okay,
0: so the conventional wisdom would be since the uh, since the Sanders, uh, Bernie Sanders suspended his campaign recently, that means that his signature proposal, Medicare for all, is dead. Uh, But you you disagree with that tell us why. You think this is a a moment, in fact.
1: I do. I do think it's a moment. I think that the, uh, I think presidential leadership is crucial to winning Medicare for all or really any kind of substantive healthcare reform. And that's why we supported Senator Sanders. But then the COVID-19 pandemic has, I think, emerged as a game changer, as an X factor that really the healthcare industry or the conventional political dynamic cannot account for. And so I think we're in a very different period all of a sudden. Uh, and I think it's also significant, Joe, that during the primaries, in virtually every primary state, despite the huge industry campaign against us and other presidential candidates campaigning against Medicare for All, a majority of Democratic voters still supported it in those in those exit polls. The fact is, the support for Medicare for All is higher than, now than it was when the senator suspended his campaign. So all the momentum, I think, is on the side of, of Medicare for All. And, and uh, this is, uh, your, your premise
0: is that we're, we've seen some estimates that there could be 47 million people out of work by July. Right? This is a, an unemployment rate by of 32%. This is This would be way higher than what we saw during the Great Depression. And since roughly half of Americans get their health insurance through work, You don't have work. You don't have health insurance. You know, you could still go uncovered, California, but uh, here in California, at least, um, or one of the uh, Obamacare exchanges. But, you know, we're we're seeing estimates that those premiums could spike 40 percent next year. So uh, the premise is you're thinking that people Medicare for all
1: looks a lot better in, in that situation. I, I do, Joe. I mean, I think that the argument for job-based insurance has been blown up by the pandemic. It literally makes no sense to tie healthcare to a job, A, because think of all the people in the gig economy who aren't covered, B, think about how many people have lost their jobs, as you say, 47 million, that translates at least into 13 and a half million people losing their health insurance. And when you're unemployed, you can't necessarily afford a good plan on the exchange, even if you get one, who's paying your copays and deductibles, mm-hmm. right? Maybe you'll get coverage for a COVID-related treatment, one if you can't get a test, one if you can't afford a test, one if it's something else. All these things, all of a sudden, people are like, hold it. All the gaps that advocates have been talking about have been revealed by the pandemic. And the question, I think, on the table now is, how can we have universal health care? And the simple answer is Medicare for all, because it does something no other plan does controls costs and guarantees healthcare. And that's really what I think people are craving for that security, that peace of mind that the pandemic has obviously just, uh, thrown, thrown open.
0: Now, the, the big challenge here is, uh, is politics. Um, <laughs> we not only do, um, all, all Republicans, uh, hate the Medicare for all the president uh, doesn't want anything to do with it. Um, but you don't have a majority of Democrats in the house to support it. Uh, even speaker Pelosi, who said that she has been uh, for universal care for years. Uh, she has allowed, you know, the uh, 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 hearings to be held on this, but she is not a fan of, of uh, Medicare for all, at least politically. What do you do about that?
1: Well, she wasn't, I don't know what she would say now to those constituents who have lost their jobs and have no prospect of health Um, Senator Sanders and Congresswoman Jayapal have introduced a bill for Medicare to cover all out of pocket expenses, whether related to COVID or not, for the underinsured, those people who have high co-pays and deductibles, and for the uninsured. I think that's a very good bill. I think Speaker Pelosi could very well support it. In the past, she has said, hey, look at I, I supported Medicare for all before, <laughs> you know, any of you were around. So she's gone by, back and forth on the question. Honestly, if she were representing her constituency, I think it's only about 80% of San Franciscans who support Medicare for all. But obviously it's a bigger political question. I think the politics are changing. When you've got the healthcare industry, the insurance companies waiving co-pays and deductibles, which they said were essential to their business model, this pandemic is obviously an X factor that's changing politics. So it's no longer, I think under the control of the healthcare industry as it was
0: so it's so it's not it's always been pitched as a money problem uh we can't this is a, a, a huge expense there's been a variety of uh, cost estimates for what it was um uh but you're saying you know now we're seeing two trillion dollars go out the door in terms of uh, coronavirus relief uh, from washington and build those put together in a week um, but what's the difference between that and, and, but you know, this will be an ongoing expense for many, for, you know, for forever. Um, would you, is the money, uh, what about the money question here?
1: Well, I always thought this was a funny argument, though, because Medicare for all, every study has shown, is cheaper. So if something's cheaper, it's by definition more affordable. The question is, do you want to spend this money che- Cheaper through, than doing uh, nothing, you're saying. Cheaper, cheaper than, than doing nothing, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cheaper than the present system, exactly. Yeah. It's like, if we do nothing, uh, estimates are by the federal government that healthcare will cost $52 trillion over 10 years. Estimates for the senators' program are somewhere between, say, 32 and 45 trillion. That those estimates are large, but the truth is, right now we're throwing 100 billion dollars into hospitals. The ongoing crisis of COVID-19 is going to require huge amounts of public funding for healthcare rural hospitals are closing because their elective procedures that they depended on aren't being done. The whole question of healthcare financing is on the table. So it is that point where people said, well, if we could start over, we'd do Medicare for All. Well, we are starting over because it's going to require huge amounts of public money just to sustain the healthcare system, let alone expand it to cover everyone. And so once that is the question, Medicare for All looks very good.
0: We'll be back to my conversation with Michael Lighty after this short break. And now, here's more of my conversation with Michael Lighty. We're seeing some other weaknesses in the for-profit healthcare system uh, as we're as we're dealing with the coronavirus pandemic right now. Um, the, for you know, the many for-profit systems do not keep a lot of supplies on hand because that is a Uh, that's a cost to to the cost of keeping, you know, lots of supplies on hands, whether it be testing kits or respirators or what have you, what are some other weaknesses we're seeing in the, uh, for-profit healthcare system? Now you you alluded to rural hospitals and I think what, 13 closed in Tennessee last year or something like that. Mm -hmm. What are, what are some of the things we're seeing weaknesses in the current system or or being exposed (laughs) throughout through this, uh, coronavirus?
1: Right, exactly. And I think you're, you're right, Joe. It's the industry model. It's the for-profit model. So if, if you have supplies lying around, those are just costs, right? You need to maximize. You need to monetize them. And so you don't want them around. Similarly, rural hospitals, um, are not profitable because they don't have a high, uh, uh, commercial payer mix. So how do they stay open? Well, if it's a national healthcare system, they stay open because people need healthcare. In a for-profit system, they close because they're not profitable. We also see this very directly on staffing. We're supposed to staff according to patient need, but the vast majority of hospitals outside of California, which does have a law that limits the number of patients nurses can take care of everywhere else, the hospitals lower staffing. They de-skill healthcare workers again, in order to save money and be budget-driven. Similarly with prescription drugs, vaccines are not profitable. They're not, uh, developed. So instead, the federal government, which had already spent 800 million on a novel coronavirus vaccine is going to be the major player there. So the same kind of incentives that don't work, uh, for creating guaranteed healthcare don't work for creating guaranteed prescriptions either. Um, and so we have a whole business model that depends upon high out of pocket costs, low inventory of supplies, De-skilled workforce and reduced capacity. So we have fewer beds. Beds again are a cost center. So let's rebuild hospitals like they did when Sutter rebuilt hospitals in San Francisco. They had fewer beds. Whenever a new hospital comes online, it always has fewer beds than the predecessor facility. So again, those all those things now that we need in order to actually deal with the pandemic are simply those things that are that are cost centers and to be avoided under a healthcare industry model so that's why there's a fundamental uh, point of of decision here are we going to have a healthcare system that guarantees healthcare to everybody Or are we going to continue with the industry model that exposes gaps and that literally kills people because they do not have the care that they need?
0: Well, it's it's one thing to, to, to have some public support growing in polls, but it's another thing when Republicans still control the white house and the Senate, how do you win over Republicans to something that they find to be horrible?
1: Well, let's, let's remember that in, in the exit polls in 2016, 52% of Republicans earning less than $30,000 a year supported a federal guarantee of health care. This is a class issue for the Republican constituency. There are millions of working class Republicans who now have lost their jobs going to lose their jobs and have lost their health care. There are millions of Republicans who can't afford a plan. I think what drives a lot of this is the politics of resentment. Somebody is getting a better deal than me, so I don't like it. I saw a quote from Politico the other day. I'm a Republican. I've never believed in health care for all, but by God, after this pandemic, we've got to have... Uh, universal medical insurance. So this is what's changing. And as a, and I frankly think, you know, in, in 2016, president Trump was saying, we're going to cover everybody. Now, no one believed it necessarily, but that's what he was saying. Secretary Clinton was not saying that vice president Biden needs to pivot away from job-based insurance and make sure he is on the page of guaranteeing healthcare for all, because I guarantee you president Trump will try to corner this issue now
0: Biden, uh, just the other day, shortly after uh, Senator Sanders uh, suspended his campaign, um, he inched a little bit towards uh, Medicare for all uh, with a, pr- a new proposal from him that he said has uh, been prompted by the pandemic. He would lower the Medicare eligibility age from sixty five to sixty. How did you read that
1: uh, as a as a incremental uh, very modest typical step. The Senator Klobuchar uh, is in favor of lowering the age to 50. The general consensus is that's when it becomes difficult to insure people. Mm. 55 had been uh, also uh, put forward. So 60 is exactly the kind of compromise we don't need. It is. It, so, yes, the Republicans are obviously hugely powerful, but they also face the same problem that Democrats do. How are you going to infuse the health care system with all this public money? Because if you don't, it won't survive. That's the question. It's not a question of whether it's a question of how. And I think that changes uh, changes things fundamentally. And also you do have. Uh, <laughs> you do have an election that's going to probably turn on how the COVID-19 epidemic was handled. And I think right now that's an election that the Trump administration can't feel good about.
0: The the polls also say that, uh, they've consistently said that uh, people generally, as we've been talking about, people generally like universal coverage. They may feel that healthcare should be a, a right that they have. But when you say, uh, ask a follow-up question that says, Uh, do you know, like if we do this, you won't have private health insurance. And then the, the numbers of the support numbers go down a little bit.
1: How do you explain that? Well, because people, um, feel that if, Hey, if you're telling me I'm going to lose my insurance, that means I'm going to lose my doctor. When you do follow up questions, then you find that, um, and the you know, Kaiser, um, family foundation is very good at this and they validated the fact that, that, um, Medicare for all is being seen in a different light and it's also been true that when you ask follow-up questions, well, you know, you're going to be able to keep your doctor, go to the same providers, you just won't have your insurance company, people's attitude then changes back and is more supportive. The truth is when so many people have realized that, yeah, I got to work at home during the pandemic, but one, if I didn't, I would have lost my health insurance for all the frontline workers who are uninsured and still being forced to go to work yeah. for all the people who've been laid off. I mean, this is a, this is just a very different question. And I think the the economics and the politics are moving in our direction, not the other way around.
0: So what happens next for the Sanders campaign? The movement, as he likes to refer to it, uh, goes on. The train keeps rolling, even though Bernie's not, uh, uh, the Bernie campaign is not going on. What is going to be the focus of the movement in terms of uh, health care? I talked to Congresswoman Jayapal the other day, and she said that uh, they're, you know, she and Bernie are pushing forward with the proposals in the House, and they're going to turn up the heat on joe biden is, is that are you going to be
1: involved in that i hope so and um, i'm planning on i definitely support the jayapal sanders bill you know the healthcare emergency guarantee act and that would pay for the copays deductibles uh, for the underinsured, whether it's for COVID or not, whether you're on a public plan or a private plan, and even people on Medicare, all their copays and deductibles will go away until there's a vaccine. That's a great piece of legislation. It's it's the focus of a lot of the organizations that have endorsed Senator Sanders, and so I, there's going to be some, I think, very intensive organizing in support of it. I do think the other thing is we need uh, Vice President Biden to say job-based in- health insurance isn't the future. It can't work. I'm now going to work with Senator Sanders to move to Medicare for all. I believe if he were to do that, that would be uh, a huge positive factor for him in the campaign. And I think all of us need to, to move him in that direction.
0: Is that what it would take to get the supporters of Bernie Sanders, which many Democrats are very, very uh, nervous about? They go, what are the Bernie people going to do? Are they going to support Biden? Are they going to just sit out the election? Are they going to vote for Trump? Are they going to vote for this year's model of Jill Stein? Uh, (laughs) um, Is that something that would clinch the deal for uh, Biden's for the support of, uh, of, of Sanders people for Joe Biden?
1: I think there's a segment that that would be decisive for. I don't think it's everybody by any means. I think there are some real issues there. Uh, I think obviously, you know, the Sunrise Movement has come out and said they're not going to endorse him. I think that's a real problem. I think the lack of youth support for him is a huge problem. I think a signal on Medicare for All to say, yeah, I'm going to work with Senator Sanders to do it. I think it would bring people along. But he's got some other issues to deal with, particularly climate. Yeah. Michael. Thanks so much uh, for being on It's All Political. Oh, I appreciate it, Joe. Thank you.
0: I'd like to thank you all for listening. I'd like to thank Michael Lighty for joining us. I'd like to thank the king, King Kaufman, for producing today's episode. And remember, no matter if you've got a Cadillac health insurance plan or no insurance at all, it's all political. It's All Political is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Our executive editor is Audrey Cooper. Our theme music, our wonderful theme music that I love, it gets me jazzed up, is Cattle Call, written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Croson. Support It's All Political and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership. It's very easy. You just go to sfchronicle.com pod.